0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 261, I Kill You, That's How This Ends. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 19 of Angel, Time Bomb, and episode 4 of The Fades.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Angel, uh, is up first this week with Time Bomb. You had a quick production note, I think.
0: Yeah. So, um, just wanted to note that this is the last episode by Ben Edlund, um, who wrote, uh, only like a handful of episodes for Angel. He wrote, um, like four in this season, and then he wrote one in, in season four, um, but yeah, we've just been kind of noting when when the last uh, you know uh, episodes come up by some of these writers and and notable too. So like he he the, some of the ones that he wrote um, include uh, co-writing Smile Time with uh, Joss Whedon, and then um, another one was the uh, uh, Life of the Party, which was the Halloween Lorne episode. You know mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know with like super Lauren <laughs> uh, you know big muscular Lauren there so
1: both of them this season
0: yeah well yeah and those were that's pretty much I mean so he wrote one last season towards the end of the season which was like kind of the wrapping up of some of the Connor and Jasmine mm-hmm. stuff which you know we can't blame him for most of that stuff, because like, I'm sure by that point he was... Which wasn't his fault. Already. Um, and I mean, I don't remember talking about him much when um, actually his first uh, episode came on. So we'll just mention that he also... Um, so he's kind of... We noted when um, actors came over from Firefly, right? Uh, well... Ben Edlund also came over from Firefly. Hmm. Um, He wrote Janestown, uh, which, uh, of course, is fun. And then he also, he co-wrote the episode Trash, which is the second one with Saffron. Right. uh, Where Mal ends up naked at the end. Right, Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, that's all that. And and then um, just to say that, like, the... I I don't know if this is where he and Joss met, but before that, he um, co-wrote *Titan A.E.* with Joss Whedon and and John August. So uh, that was in the late nineteen nine. It was ninety nine. So
1: an animated movie, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. I vaguely
1: remember it, but I don't know that I ever saw it.
0: I don't think I ever saw it either. And I think that's one where like. I don't need, I don't know if Joss's name was even on it or if this was one of his like script doctor films that he was yeah. kind of working on at the time, you know, to sort of fix stuff up. Um, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it won some awards, uh, you know, no, no Academy Awards or anything, but it was kind mm-hmm. of in the, uh, you know, some of the like satellite and Saturn awards and those kind of things. Right. Um, Or at least nominated for some of those. I I don't. I don't know which ones. So, um, but he's also well known as the creator of The Tick, uh, Mm. which is uh, pretty popular and has been has been done a few times. I think, right? Yeah, Um, Yeah, as a a series now. So, uh, um, yeah, just uh, that's probably sort of his biggest um, whatever. He's he's written a bunch of other stuff. He's he's written for Supernatural and. Uh, actually Star Wars The Clone Wars and, and a couple episodes for Gotham. So he's done a bunch of other stuff since then uh too, but just kind of figured we'd mention him um real quick coming coming out of uh this last episode. I, I think in general, um given the short number of episodes, like he he comes across pretty solidly, I think. I think you know Smile Time and Life of the Party and and mm-hmm. I mean this one too, um not a not a bad episode. Um although I will say, I think, uh, well, we can get in, when we get into the Illyria stuff, maybe I'll, I'll give my thoughts on some of that. But overall, uh, since we're notice, noting his departure, we'll, we'll just say that overall, I think he had a pretty good mm-hmm. run, if, if somewhat brief. Um, mm-hmm. here.
1: Yeah, cool. All right, well, before we get directly into the Illyria-centric part of the story, I um, wanted to start with the gun stuff. And kind of more broadly the plot that he's involved in with Amanda and the fell brethren and everything. Um, But it's, it it kind of funny after I sort of predicted that the like last episode would start with them kind of talking about rescuing gun. And it was like, there it was like 30 seconds in, it was like,
0: yeah. When are we?
1: like, they didn't go and rescue him, but they at least mentioned that they wanted to do that. Um, So it then was kind of nice to have, you know, this episode start, like, with, you know, uh, him kind of back and in the full swing of things and, um, you know, rescued sort of right at the start of the episode. Um, And, you know, pretty clever of Illyria to put the necklace around, you know, the demon's neck. Like, that's one of those, like, should have had a V8 moments of, like, hey, like, that would have been a great idea the first time.
0: <laughs> right, right. Um,
1: but you could kind of see, like, nobody questioning the sort of fairy tale logic of it, of, oh, we have to leave, you know, one of us behind, and this makes sense, and, you know, just go. But then, like, once you kind of realize, oh, obviously we have another person here who we can, right. uh, it's, you, you kind of realize you were sort of silly not to think of it the first time.
0: Right. Yeah, no, definitely. Um yeah, and th- I mean I don't want to make too much of the comparison, but there's also a sort of like a reverse orpheus kind of thing going on here too right of the going into hell and bringing out the mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ways that it's different too, so like I said I don't want to mm-hmm. be too much uh you know. Yeah. Draw too much of a comparison there, but um
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah and I hadn't really thought of that, but that's true with um Especially the way that even within the kind of construct of the of the kind of prison world, he rises and descends from the underworld. You know, there's a kind of cyclical right. thing of...
0: Into the basement. Right, right,
1: right. Like he's in the house sometimes. And then every periodically, whatever it is, once a day or once a cycle, he has to sort of go down into the basement. Um, so yeah. that, that actually does work pretty well with the Orpheus myth.
0: Um, um, yeah, I don't think we get it. I think the sort of implication implication is that it's like daily, right? Like that is sort of this daily right. repeated right. routine going on. Um, right. But yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's well, not I, expressly stated. No,
1: but it that's what the view feels like, that there's a, a cycle to it. Um, right because so,
0: like there's the whole like help in the sun with the homework and
1: right you know right.
0: the wife is doing whatever and right. needs the light bulb and...
1: right yeah and I definitely wanted to talk about that because we had sort of speculated about the element of psychological torture so it was kind of validating to have gun sort of specifically call that out in this episode and say you know that the the real you know pain of that place was the underlying suspicion that everything was a lie that superficially everything is good and happy and smiling and birthday cake on the surface but mm-hmm. there's this lurking knowledge of the horror underneath and you know the the way he connects that to their current situation um like you know, on, from his point of view, he's been the most gung-ho about the Wolferman and Hart thing as any of them. Um, you know, like, I guess in the one sense he had the most to gain um, or, and seemed to kind of outwardly benefit the most from their situation. So maybe that sort of contributed to his feeling that everything was fine and dandy. Um, But I don't think he was the only one. There's a sense that all of them are getting resources and fulfillment and sort of job satisfaction in a way that they hadn't been before. Um, So to then kind of apply his prison scenario to that, that like we kind of are believing this this construct that everything is right and functional. Um, but how deep does that go? And is it, you know, are we kind of ignoring the the sense of the lurking horror underneath to live with the kind of happy lives that we've sort of built around us on on the surface?
0: Yeah. Well, there is that. And I think even for Gunn, especially, um, given how like we talked about his sort of embracing of his role at Wolfram and Hart even more than like some of the others, right? Like of all the, of all the angel investigations team gun sort of seems the most, you know, suited for his role, you know, with all of the, you know, new knowledge and information, you know, uh uh, capabilities that he has and kind of his you know burgeoning lawyer and you know access to the conduit and like all this stuff like he kind of fits in there but um it kind of made me think of yeah the whole idea of imposter syndrome of Mm -hmm. like no matter how good things are going it, it feels kind of like things shouldn't be going this well and you're just kind of waiting for that other shoe to fall and like that the way he describes that I feel like is is exactly that sort of thing of like mm-hmm. you're in this perfect little world and you're just waiting. It can't like this mm. can't be exactly right. Like there's gotta be something wrong. Like I don't feel like this is should be happening for me. And in this particular case, he's right. <laughs> it should like it is wrong. Like that's not what's going on. Right. And you get down to the basement and realize, oh yeah, okay. there's uh, big monster here waiting cut my heart
1: out yeah and and I think, depending on the way you look at it, it's either kind of rattled his confidence that now that he's had that experience, it's sort of he's looking for that that sense lingers, that sense that okay, I'm back in a familiar place, so i'm I'm liberated and rescued and saved, and everything seems to be fine, but again like. You're, he's sort of looking for just because everything seems fine on the surface, what's really going on underneath, and we should be paying attention to that and not ignoring it. um right. But on the other hand, like that, I don't know that that paranoia isn't justified. Like maybe this experience opened his eyes in a certain way to what's, you know, I, we have to acknowledge the fact that both of these, like both the kind of holding world cell of the, you know, happy suburban community, um, you know, was created by Wolfram and Hart, which is where they're now still working. So I don't know that like his paranoia is completely wrong either. Um, You know, I think this was a wake-up call to Gunn in a lot of ways to be careful with the things that he's accepting um, unquestioningly and the, the you know the, the papers he's signing and the deals that he's making um, and now it's sort of put him in this frame of mind of we should be questioning what we're doing um, which he was you know probably the most trusting of their scenario up until this point um, yeah and I think it, it's notable in the beginning when he walks in not in his sort of power suits anymore um back into his sort of i guess street clothes um Mm -hmm. you know there's a reawakening of the old gun who was a little i mean more streetwise a little more cynical um you know, kind of looking for that other shoe to drop, looking for, okay, if things are too good to be true, kind of where's the catch. Um, and so he, yeah, he's back here to start questioning, uh, some of these assumptions. And so we, you know, we get that presented right away with, um, with Amanda, although I want to bring up, uh, Marcus Hamilton and the senior partners, um, who kind of suggest that there's going to be an important client coming in soon. And just give, they give a little gentle reminder just to think about profits, you know, occasionally, guys, um, this is a business after all, and it's profits that, what you say, it's profits that allow you to keep this plucky little boatload above water. So, Don't you know? Forget why you're here. It's to do business and to do it, you know, smartly and everything. Um, And and kind of says specifically they're going to have a task uh, for all of them, but for Gun, I guess. Um, And of course, it has to deal with this kind of legal maneuvering and contracts and what can people get away with and everything. Um, So we get. Amanda um who's pregnant and so she has this group of demons the Fell brethren who contacted her and told her that her baby is the subject of some sort of a messianic prophecy um well i mean demonic prophecy i guess but it's you know savior <laughs> demonic to, messiah yeah. yes um you know the, the subject of a demonic cult and um you know they they're nice and they say nice things and bring her stuff and are very like their whole demeanor changes when they're with her they're very sort of ooey gooey with you know and they drink organic cola like (laughs) um what's that like They don't seem so bad um and You know, and she talks about, I know it sounds bad giving up your baby to a supernatural cult, you know, but, like, (laughs) when you think about it, right, like, so she goes kind of through this kind of sob story, like, you know, her husband was hurt, he can't work, like, seriously hurt, like, brain damaged. Um, So they can't, you know, afford to have a baby, she can't take care of him and the baby, you know, and then the, these demons say that they'll, you know, be able to cure him. So there's like a bargaining happening here. Like in one sense, she's kind of trading the baby away, um, to save her husband. Um, but there's also an element of the fact that he's part of this prophecy, um, you know, means he'll be loved and worshiped and given this sort of lavish lifestyle. Um, of course there's fine print
0: <laughs> until he's 13
1: <laughs> until he's 13 um right which is what gun discovers in the fine print which is of course because this is a demonic cult you know there's going to be some sort of ritual sacrifice um and gun yeah. you know i would like to think that even before this little like rebirth gun would have balked at this contract but like certainly in this frame of mind he's you know not really hearing it and wants to like maybe maybe lawyer gun would have kind of tried to find a smooth way to maneuver and get her out of the contract sort of using his you know legal wiles and everything but this you know gun where he is right now just kind of screams at them and curses them out and tells them to leave. Like he's not right. really entertain he doesn't even want to play the game of let's try to outsmart these guys. He's not right. interested. He wants to do what's right and not get muddled into any sort of, you know, murky territory.
0: Right. Well this is like this goes back to the theory of, you know, why, you know, some employers resist things like casual Friday or, you know, casual everyday where I work, um, you know, with the idea that like the type of clothing you wear, you know, sort of helps you to remember how to act in certain ways and that kind of thing. And so Gunn putting on his street clothes again, but mm. makes sort of makes his, you know, personality and demeanor... Such that, like, yeah, he's he's more of an upfront brawling kind of. Like, no more of this, like, playing around with words and legal yeah. maneuvers and that kind of stuff. Like, he's ready to punch people out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, we're going to come back to Angel's sort of executive decision at the end, um, but... uh There was one line, although now I don't know where it is in my notes, where, um, (laughs) of course. Um, Oh, okay. When when Angel's reminding Gunn, like, think about the big picture. Like, let's, you know, we're going to get to, don't think too hard about this. We just got to focus on our next move. And Gunn kind of reminds him that this is our next move. And I kind of liked the double entendre of that, like the multiple possible meanings because you know as angel keeps saying in this episode they don't know they know there's this the apocalypse is coming they don't know what form it's going or to has take. already
0: started or has form. already started <laughs> right yeah.
1: so they don't know anything about it other than that um they don't know what form it's going to take and so i like the kind of idea that like okay you have to focus on your next move in order to just get to the next thing and and think about the big picture, but also like potentially every next move has big picture implications. Like, sure. And I think there's two ways to look at that. On the one hand, like, you know, pregnant woman walks in with potential Messiah of some kind. Like that certainly sounds like something that could be related to an apocalypse, you know worth taking seriously for big picture implications, but on the other hand, I feel like kind of what Gunn's point is is that this is our next move. every move matters, even the small ones, like even if this baby and this woman have nothing to do with the big apocalypse, the point is we have to do the right thing each and every time we can't just you know make sort of gestures and compromises along the way you know working towards the thing that we think of as the point um like if we're doing the right thing then we have to do the right thing in each individual case not just when right. the big apocalypse comes Sure. and so kind of either way whether or not amanda and her baby have larger implications it's important to gun to do the right thing by them right now um
0: well and right and this is kind of like this is like the butterfly effect taken to the extreme right because it's like oh you know a butterfly flaps its wings and then you know it causes a hurricane you know wherever half a world away it's like yeah okay well but if the butterfly like flies across the room how many times does it flap its wing and is like is it just spawning hurricanes the whole way like mm. so and guns kind of saying like yeah like any everything that we do needs to be the right thing otherwise right. you could be triggering ap- apocalyptic apocalypses mm. you know uh all along and and or you know i mean Or worsening the effects of, like, the one apocalypse or whatever. Like, if if the apocalypse has started and the evil is flowing already and we're not actively fighting that evil, then we're contributing. We're taking a side in the apocalypse and the evil side. And that's kind of the, to some degree, the conversation. And even, like, Spike sort of says that, right? He's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, apparently... The apocalypse has started and we're on the wrong side or the right side if you like winning. <laughs> like that implication of like like evil's already, you know, up forty and nothing in the game, like mm-hmm. which is pretty much what the last Eagles game was like. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, so right,
1: right. Right. And if you if you keep kicking that can down the road, you know, thinking, well, we'll just you know, don't worry so much about this particular thing, we'll get to the next thing. Well, okay, then, you know, those those kind of moral decisions that you're not addressing are only going to contribute to evil winning in the long term. You have to treat every move in this game like it's the big one. Um you know, or regardless of whether it's the big one, because there's a there's a cumulative effect. So, um,
0: well, yeah, which I I didn't really think about it this way. And I know I'm jumping ahead here, you know, to the like end of the discussion about Illyria. But I mean, they're obviously like arguing kind of polar opposite viewpoints, but almost in the same way of but like almost by using the same argument of you know Elyria saying if you want to win a war you must serve no master but your ambition and in a way that's kind of what Gunn's saying too like if you want to win the war for good you have to be good all the time Mm. like you can't you can't compromise you can't say you know we're we're gonna choose to do this one bad thing so that it can fund later good efforts because then you're always going to make that compromise Mm -hmm. right There's there's always going to be that thing of like oh well if we just had a little more money you know then we could do more good and so we're going to do this bad thing to get more of the money and you know but it'll it's okay because it'll sort of even out later or or even with that money we'll be able to do even more good and so we'll still come out like ahead Mm -hmm. or something like that and so kind of Again, going in two completely opposite directions, both Illyria and Dunn are kind of making that same argument of, like, if you want to win, you need to, like, figure out what, you know, it's like, what, visualize your destination and, you know, go straight towards it mm-hmm. and that kind of
1: Right, don't that waver. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah and,
0: and don't waver. And
1: do right, that. and any, any compromise is a concession to the other side. Um, even if you think of it as... A small you know it's the move of a pawn that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things right they're both kind of arguing that yes it does um it has larger yeah. every move has larger implications um yeah okay well i think we'll come back to angel's decision in in the ending but um i guess let's talk through the illyria stuff um i guess starting with her ongoing evolution and relationship with Wesley, um, which was in, which was in a very, I don't know if good place is the right term, but they were real allies last week. Um, And there's uh, been, been a cooling on Elyria's side. She sort of realized that the implication of what Wesley was trying to do with breaking the, you know, little light thing and rewriting, you know, their memories and kind of rewriting history is that it would have, he was hoping that it would have actually rewritten history, that maybe right. not just their memories would come back, but events would be undone. And so she kind of thought about it and went, Hey, you know, <laughs> that, that actually means something for me. Um yeah. And, you know, now kind of sees Wesley is out to kill her. Um,
0: well, especially which he doesn't since really
1: deny. <laughs> in no, he doesn't.
0: And, I, I mean, he pretty much outright confirms it. In, this, in I, the
1: sense of, like, yeah, if I could have gotten, if I could have undone what happened to Fred and sent you back to where you came from, like, yeah, I would have done it.
0: Totally would have done it. Yeah. Uh, and I just wanted to say, like, that in the context, too, of, like, because remember... When Wesley goes and he's sort of like holding the memory cube thing, and Illyria says to Angel, you know, he no longer serves you or whatever, like something along those lines, right? Implying that, like, mm. maybe she thinks that Wesley serves her, right? Um, there's sort of this idea, which I don't think Wesley necessarily thinks that. Like I think this is, you know, Rogue Demon Hunter Wesley again, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's he's on his own doing his own thing. Or, you know, Connor Kid kidnapper Wesley. Um you know, kind of going off on his own and and doing what he thinks of I mean Wesley, man, even as far as he's come, he just he always makes these terrible decisions. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, just thinking about that. Like, how yeah. many times have we been here of, like... Yeah. And, you know, 100% conviction, you know, believes he's doing the right thing. And we totally understand why he thinks he's doing the right thing and can see the logic behind, you know, what he's doing. But he's just ignorant and doesn't mm. have all the facts. And so it it's completely the wrong kind of action mm-hmm. to be taken, um but anyway all that to say that like
1: and he ends up paying more than anybody else you know sure um which adds a kind of poignancy to it like his realization when as like almost immediately after he goes off a cliff and does one of these reckless things um yeah other people get mad at him but more than that there's always the sense of wesley's instant regret of, oh crap. Like, right. you know,
0: as soon as he has the <laughs> full picture, he's done it. he suddenly realizes like how stupid or, uh, or at least counterproductive, you know, his mm-hmm. uh, actions were. But yeah, again, just going back to Elyria though, I'll, you know, it's not entirely clear that she's thinking this way, but, but there is sort of that implication of, you know Wesley doesn't follow Angel anymore, so does that mean he follows her mm. which you I mean given her sort of ego you know godlike ego, you could totally see her thinking that so if if then the realization is, oh wait, he actually was trying to kill me or you know undo my you know infestation of Fred, yeah, then that could be kind of a shock to yeah. her system too of like, oh wait. He's not the worshipful being I thought that he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some underlying stuff there too, where which goes sort of maybe towards her disillusionment with Wesley and oh yeah, the, for sure. the cooling of you know their previously somewhat tight relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Although there's an interesting the only I, I completely agree that I mean she calls him my betrayer in, in this episode. And, and, you know, when she pushes his desk against the window, like you can see that she takes it personally. Um, But at the same time, there's that one line about betrayal was a neutral word as unjudged as water breeze. Um, Like in her philosophy of winning of, you know, all there is, is your own ambition and, and the conviction to serve it. Um, if you take that completely literally then betrayal wouldn't be a, a a bad or an evil idea necessarily it would be the service of your own ambition
0: okay. um, well it's like that it's, it's just business don't take it right, personally exactly right? like, like if
1: if her philosophy which she kind of says to angel is you know you should be trying to serve number one all the time um then isn't that what Wesley was doing what he he's just getting what he wants, and how does that make him different than anybody else now, maybe from alyria's point of view that you know there are you know gods and leaders and kings and heroes who serve their own ambition, and then there are like the worshipers, you know, and maybe Wesley's supposed to be in the category of people that are loyal and they follow different rules than, than the mighty. Um, so maybe that's where the, the, but in terms of a philosophy, it's kind of a little weird to blame Wesley for his betrayal. And then in the next breath say betrayal as an idea has sort of kind of no meaning, um, because all you are is sort of out for yourself.
0: I don't think that she's saying it has no meaning. I think she's saying it used to have no meaning. And Wesley says, well, that sounds very close to human. Sure. And I think what we're seeing here is another, you know, effect of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the word? It Not incarnate, but like the, the, I used infest before, but that's also not quite a word. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, like, Basically, she's become part human now, Mm -hmm. right? Like, she's got these, you know, what is this, what stuff coming out of my eyes kind of thing. Like, you know, uh, thing going on here where, yeah, betrayal used to be, like, she didn't care one way or the other. And, I I mean, I do think there's an aspect there of, like, yeah, I used to betray anyone and didn't care. right. Right. But maybe it never happened to her. And so maybe... Maybe there is a sense of like, oh, okay, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel as good when you're on the other side of it. But but I do think there's also that idea of like, okay, you've taken over this human body, and now you kind of have to deal with some of the biological and you know psychological ramifications mm-hmm. of you know doing so. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and and also her conversation with Spike about. Um... Like adaptation and and evolution, which are kind of human ideas um, or mortal ideas, the 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 concept that things change over time, and that her own understanding of those things is evolving. That, um, you know, I mean, partly it might be that she was never betrayed before, and so it's a new experience. But it also might be that her understanding has changed and become more human. That you know, the the concept of betrayal might have been familiar, but what's changed is her perspective on it. Right. Um, and that she's, you know, experiencing things from a more human point of view and suddenly she sees the the personal aspect of a betrayal, that it's not just about serving, you know, your ambition and nothing else. It's also that there's an element of, of pain and loyalty to it um that she can relate to now
0: yeah um and that fuels of course her paranoia right. <laughs> throughout the episode uh which i mean is it wholly misplaced i mean right? like what's the joke like just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you right? mm-hmm. like they are out to get her like explicitly out mm-hmm. to get her in this episode and you know angel and uh, Angel and Wesley and Spike and yeah, Gun. I guess yeah. no, yeah. Gun's off doing. Wait, is he part of the? No, I'm trying to. Remember. He's kind of not really oh, part oh, of. Oh, Lorne. The... Lorne. Uh, is the yes. one following her. Well, yes. And stuff. Yeah.
1: Um, Lorne in his little noir hat and shades and <laughs> doesn't exactly um help with the paranoia. Um, you know he kind of makes it as obvious as possible that she's being watched and followed and everything. Um, yeah, not the most inconspicuous gumshoe ever. Um, well, we kind of talked around it a bit, but any anything else about the Illyria-Angel conversations in particular? Like, I think the kind of idea of ambition is the big one um you know and and throughout the episode angel's looking for insights into how to fight this invisible war as he says um
0: yeah i so there's yeah like the invisible so it's kind of funny in that He wants her advice and all of that, but also like sees her as a huge liability, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's like this, like, yeah, maybe she can offer some insight into how to go about doing this, but she's also, um, I think he uses the word wildcard at one point. Like, you know, you can't have a wildcard like you around. and And she is, and especially here where, you know, I mean, that's where we start off is she just, created this portal and hopped into another dimension to go rescue gun. Mm-hmm. Didn't tell anyone what she's doing or, you know, where she was going and when she'd be back and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, there's, there's just so much other stuff to worry about at this point that Angel doesn't want to have to worry about what she might or might not do. Um, not to mention the fact that that like, that that's what leads to the fiscal problems that comes in and uh you know affects their business and what they need to do now to like like forget apocalypse stuff like what do they just have to do to be in the black, you know, mm-hmm. from a financial standpoint. And so um yeah, just kind of not knowing how she's gonna react in any given circumstance. But I think the other thing with him is is that he sees with her training with Spike, is that, you know, she's doing more testing and learning mm-hmm. about them and their strengths than than the other way around. Um, for various reasons. One, just because, like, she's been at it a lot longer. <laughs> like, she had, you know, millennia or whatever, you know, to kind of observe people or, you know, creatures and opponents and, Figure things out, and and now she's learning things, um, you know, about them and kind of what they're up to and what they're doing, and that makes Angel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for all those reasons, he's kind of, you know, looking to get rid of her, kind of ultimately, and and especially when she starts like really going kind of crazy, and they mm-hmm. don't know why. And I mean, we learn over course of the episode that is because she's sort of jumping back and forth in time. And, you know, there's various things going on that Mm -hmm. are causing her instability, but, uh, he doesn't know that, or at least at first, he doesn't know that. And as he's figuring it out, it's kind of too late in some ways. Right. Um, So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I guess let's talk about the, the hopping through time, um, which I think we can talk about sort of as a, a, a big, jumble, because it would be pretty uh, tough, you know, and time-consuming to go through it beat by beat, Um, which I think is kind of the point. Um, I mean, so, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of other examples of things like this that we could compare it to, and and the unstuck-in-time phrase like deliberately calls to slaughterhouse five and everything um the most obvious parallel to me that i'd want to compare it to would be the constant episode of lost um which also uses the phrase unstuck in time i'm pretty sure Hmm. does it i think it does um so
0: is that um, the one where the the like the well just keeps like lighting up and they
1: keep on No. Oh, it's okay. the one where maybe we'll talk about this someday. It's the one where <laughs> Desmond um I just got a mischievous look. Um it's the one where Desmond is hopping back and forth. And okay. it's the Christmas kind of phone call um with Penny. But so what's different about that that jumps out to me right away and the way this is like a different approach is like that's really back and forth between two specific points and so you always have a very clear sense of where he is in the given t- in the two different given timelines kind of respect to each other and so you have a sense of like two different storylines are progressing in parallel and our characters just sort of hopping back and forth but we always kind of it's very sort of clear about where we are at any given time. Whereas I feel like this one was much harder to follow, um, but I feel like that's deliberate. Like, she's not necessarily hopping back and forth between two points in, in timeline or or two different storylines. She's hopping, like, forwards and backwards and sideways and all over the place, you know, and, and they're going... At unpredictable intervals, there things are changing. So there's like multiverses going on here of like alternate universes where certain things happen differently the last time. Um, Angel gets sucked in, you know, at a couple points. And you kind of find out that like he gets sucked in because there was a timeline where she exploded. And... Mm-hmm in the force of her explosion is sort of what sent him back, which is the thing that enables him to fix the timeline and saved her. So there's paradoxes happening here. Um, and so it, it would feel unfair to kind of say, well, this was more confusing than something like the constant, because I feel like the point here is to make it as befuddling and difficult to follow. Um, you know as possible not like not like unwatchable or anything but um but just very difficult to track which version of herself she is at any given time and where she came from and you know whatever so anyway that's kind of my first impression is that it's deliberately meant to be confusing um
0: yeah well and timey wimey, right? Like and timey wimey, which I feel like it's certainly not. Uh, like like this isn't um like our discussion of like predestination, you know, and like the sort of perfect time travel story that like Robert Heinlein tried to like concoct, right? No, like, this is, no, this yeah, like you said, this is definitely it's, it's not meant to with be a paradoxes puzzle. and yeah, you know, y- like you you can't unwrap this and right. follow like the subjective thread right. all the way through. Cause there's exactly. like three or four and they're right. kind of sticking out all over the place.
1: Right. Right. This is not meant to be whether it's predestination or the constant or blank or whatever. This isn't supposed to be the one where the second time you watch it, you go, I see how this Rubik's cube fits together and I can appreciate right the complexity of the puzzle pieces all sort of snapping into place. Like, no, this isn't, it's not designed that way. Um, It's not really designed at all. It's supposed to be like a completely unpredictable and random and contradictory, you know, muddle of different events. Um, So in that way, I think it's, kind of successful like in what it sets Mm. out to do um it makes it hard to talk about it in any sort of (laughs) linear way but that's okay like maybe we can just yeah leave it at that and say like it's suitably kind of tangled and confusing and disorienting
0: well and it goes along with the idea that both Illyria and Wesley are kind of both going a little crazy and yeah which I didn't even think about this. But how Fred like is Wesley in his office there? Like mm-hmm. short of writing on the walls. hmm Like there's very much a, you know, Fred hold up in her room in the hotel kind yeah. of yeah. feel to that. And I didn't even really think about it till Right. Especially till just now.
1: when you combine it with him in the lab, like taking over some yeah. of her duties, which is the more that's the more explicit parallel. But yeah, like, in a bunch of different ways, he's kind of standing in for Fred in this episode. Um.
0: Well, and and very much with the, yeah, like, the running around and, like, you know, going from source to source and, like, oh, if I can just find, like, the right combination or, you know, the right quote or whatever it is that he's looking for, then he'll get it figured out. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's always just sort of out of reach and on the tip of his tongue of you know what it is that he's trying mm-hmm. to figure out and mm-hmm. and that that aspect definitely I feel like is a homage to Fred kind of in a way mm-hmm. um, and sort of how she you know had those ideas,
1: yeah right, so in the end. I mean they all do you know, try to kill her at some point. Um but that's not the uh the end goal of what ends up happening here that Wesley his his gun which he which which she sees kind of out of context originally. She thinks he's shooting at her because she keeps kind of jumping forward without knowing the full story. But really yeah. the gun that he has is to save her she might not see it that way but to save her by drawing the energy out of her um, which sort of literally saves her physically but it does kind of drain her of a significant portion of her powers so so she's sort of left behind and you know neutralized in some way which is um, kind of better from Angel's point of view, not so great from Illyria's point of view.
0: Right. Well, and, right, so from a pure storytelling perspective, like, you do have to, like, sort of address, like, if if Elyria's gonna get over her, I mean, not that she ever necessarily gets over her godlike personality, but, like, you could sort of see this devolving in just sort of, like, another glory situation, but, like, glory without Ben. Um, Not that the two of them ever have a connection. I'm not sure why. No, just kidding. Wait a minute. Um, Yeah. Ben is glory. Uh, No, the, but yeah, like, like we've already done that, right? Like we've already done the super powerful God thing. Mm -hmm. So like, and, and like the super powerful God thing stuck in a human body with human frustration. So, yeah, this is a way to, like, like we've already seen uh, a few of the, like, human elements sort of seeping into Illyria's personality. And so this is, like, another step, I feel like, in that same direction of, okay, now that we've started the process, let's also, like, not completely, like, she's still, like, super strong, and she's still has some power, but she can't like open dimensional portals and just go, you know, save people or kill people or whatever, like that she mm-hmm. wants to do. Like we've toned it down a bit. She's maybe more like one of the other very strong, but you know, not impotent or uh, impotent, omnipotent uh, <laughs> uh, demons that we see. Um We do see some impotent demons too, but uh the the yeah so like and also the talk of like yeah can she be part of the team like is is she i feel i feel like the question is still sort of outstanding but we're closer maybe to an answer at by the end of this episode of like you know if she's not uh you know she's She's obviously like fighting them, but, but there's a sense. This isn't like when she was just trying to like regain her throne and like take over the world and universe and everything. Right. This is like, it's all built on that paranoia. And the idea that like, in a sense, she's trying to actually defend herself from who, from kind of a legitimate threat of, you know, Angel and team Mm-hmm. who are trying to eliminate her um, maybe for some fine reasons of their own. But mm-hmm. from her perspective, you know, like what she, she saves gun and now they want to kill me. Like, you know, so, so this is, it's it's not even like what she's doing is necessarily evil. She's protecting herself in large part. Mm-hmm. And there's some, you know, Issues with her powers and maybe her mental state a bit, which are causing her to maybe not think so clearly and to jump back and forth in time, which can drive anyone crazy but i like i don't like this isn't a sense of like olyria's bad it's mm-hmm. it's more chaotic than than evil, and I mean even that comes out in kind of her explanations of like you know you should have the morality of a hurricane, which which is like to say none, like like literally amoral and not mm-hmm. like in a bad sense in a in a just natural phenomenon sense right. like right. of there there's no morality attached to it because it's just something that happens. And so, um, yeah, I think I think now, like by toning down her power and I mean, I will we may or may not see more sparring sessions between her and Spike because those are kind of just fun anyway. But mm-hmm. um there is that sense of like, now, okay, okay. Now that we know that you're not going to go Chernobyl, like they say, uh or, you know, hop dimension to dimension and who knows what you'll bring back with you next time. You know, now we'll get a chance to maybe see like, okay, can, is there actually room for her on the team and if so like how is that dynamic going to play out um unfortunately we only have like three episodes left so sure i don't know how uh well developed we'll get to see all of that but i feel like that's where we kind of end up
1: yeah yeah cool
0: and last few minutes you want to wrap up the like angels executive decision <laughs>
1: Right, yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so boy howdy, he makes one. Um, Swoops in, and um, I mean, I suppose and uh, hope against hope that there's some fourth dimensional chess at play, you know, that maybe he has some you know, sneaky move, uh, that he's sort of not telling the, the group about, but that's not mm-hmm. sort of, um, on the surface of it, that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, he kind of gun is going all street gun on the fell brethren and we're kind of cheering him on like, like, all right, gun, like back to his sort of roots fighting for what's right and not afraid to argue about it. And, um, yeah, then Angel swoops in and says, no, nope. baby belongs to the fell. Invites, you know, the fell in to go kind of take what's theirs, presumably. Um, and yeah, kind of shuts the door on everybody's face. And that's end of discussion. He kind of pulls rank. Um, yeah. So there's sort of, if everything is as it appears, there's Illyria's um, ethic of non-compromise and um doing what you need to do to win in any situation and he kind of well and it is it, it isn't because then we're back to kind of what you were saying earlier about you know gun's point of if we compromise morally on the small decisions on the long run are we undermining our victory here because i guess angel doesn't compromise in the sense that he does what he thinks he needs to do for Wolfram and Hart. But at the same time, by making deals with demons, are you inherently compromising anyway? Um, you're compromising to, whether it's to keep these clients happy or to get the money to fund your projects, whatever it is. Um, Either yeah, way, there's a, there's know. either a moral or a business compromise, and an angel chooses the moral one, like he serves the business and does the shady moral thing, um,
0: yeah. Right, and we don't. I mean, we don't know because he doesn't give an explanation, right? And so, I I honestly don't remember if like we if there is another episode with the fell brethren in right like in the last three episodes here like i don't know if this particular thing is brought up i guess the question would be is like like i think we could come up with some maybe uh plausible you know compatible with canon ideas like okay, this ritual sacrifice isn't supposed to happen until the baby's 13 years old. Maybe within the next 13 years, like they've only been at Wolfram and Hart for a year, right? Maybe sometime between now and, you know, 13 Mm -hmm. years old, they can figure out some way to like get the kid out of being killed ritually. Like, you know, if it's like, we'll take their money now and deal with it sometime within the next 13 years before he dies, like okay, like, might be playing with fire a little bit, but there's at okay. least a certain logic to that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, of like, we'll fund it now. And and I mean, they're going to pamper the kid for the next 13 years. As long as we get him before they kill him, like, maybe that's not such a bad thing for the kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that that's what he's thinking. I'm just saying, like, you could come up with potentially plausible... Mm -hmm. you know rationalizations for why he acts that way you know or whatever or yeah i i mean well i guess i'll toss it to you we've got less than a minute left any other sort of rationalizations or thoughts or predictions or anything there or or even just because we are kind of coming up on the last few episodes any any just thoughts in general about, like, kind of how we're shaping up here? Like, who who is the big bad at this point? What's the, you know, what's the thing that we're facing other than Apocalypse, which apparently has already started. So, like, <laughs> we don't even know, like, where, <laughs> where kind of we're at.
1: Right. Maybe? I, I'm getting, like, I don't know, like, how this works, really but i'm I'm feeling like I'm bracing myself for some twist where did Lindsay say stuff about this? I can't remember this idea that you know maybe the apocalypse has started, and they're on the wrong side, like they're playing for the wrong team, mm-hmm. and the the kind of realization that the moves they've been making have been serving you know, the kind of greater interest of the senior partners or Wolfram and Hart, whatever it is. Um, And yeah. More specifically than that, I'm not quite sure um, how to articulate that because I'm conscious of the fact that this is the end of the series, not just, you know, the end of one section of the story um and i know it continues into spin-off material and everything but still like the series finale carries a kind of weight of if not finality at least like this is like a definitive statement of what you know the story is kind of about like this is kind of what we're building to is these last few episodes um, So, yeah, like, it. that seems like what it's building to, but how to end it on such a way that doesn't seem... I don't think that, like, Whedon shows are ever, like, the final conclusion is that everything is pointless and it's hopeless and, you know, you're the bad guy in the end. Um, You know, the, the angels the famous speech about all that matters is what you do and everything. I feel like we have to kind of get back to that somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like there. are I'm waiting for what are the prices of all of these moral compromises that are being made. Um, right. I mean, certainly Fred was a price. Um, but Angel's continuing to make compromises even since she's gone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel like there's going to be some sort of consequence for that.
0: All right. Well, I guess we'll see. Shall we talk about the fades? Sure. Yeah, so Paul's dead. Oh, he dead. That's, uh, yeah, that's a, well,
1: also I guess vulnerable. he's only
0: mostly dead. Right. Ooh, mostly dead. a bad dead week to bring that up, I guess. Slightly um, alive. Yeah, slightly alive. He's yeah. brain dead. Right. Uh, but we're not going to start there. We're going to start with Mark and Sarah because um that's a little more separated from the rest of it it's easy to sort of talk about and there's also not much to say Um, it's just sort of paul going through his interrogation um and you know Sarah's still sort of creeping on him a bit right like this is like yep i mean we see mark uh Like even Mark's
1: getting creeped out.
0: (laughs) Having a tough go of it. Well, yeah, he does, right? I mean, he's obviously having a tough go of it. He's lost his estranged wife and, you know, and in doing so realizes sort of like how much he misses her, which, you know, okay, sure. I I can get that. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, like that's bad enough, but like he's now also being accused of killing her oh and also these other people including like two kids and like not just like killing them but like eating them too Mm -hmm. so like yeah there's a lot to be concerned about for mark um so yeah he's being interrogated and and sarah's watching and he sort of wonders right like is she there is she like right with me here like and and It is interesting, like, the whole, you know, it's not, like, sort of normal ghost, uh, like, we get, like, in sort of, like, ghost mythology, like, ghosts can sort of choose who they appear to, or, like, maybe do things that anyone can witness or view as a sort of sign that they're there. Right. Like whether it's like sort of the writing on the window, like the frosted window or, Mm -hmm. you know, well, we get sort of a moment with Mac, right. Of like the lights flicking on and off that he takes Mm -hmm. as a sign is like totally not. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah apparently like that's not how the whole fades thing works like there are people who can see them and there are people who can't and that's just it right um
1: right it's not traditional ghost like poltergeist stuff Of right um but
0: but you get mark and mac and and well then the two of them at least who are kind of in the know you know sort of thinking that that could be how it works and so so like they're always sort of searching or waiting and looking for a sign and, mm-hmm.
1: um right talking to the, the ghost of the person that they hope is there
0: right right um mark gets let go uh because the teeth marks don't match which is good it's good that they figured that much yeah. out right um I yeah I don't I'm not sure where like the forensics of tooth marks falls like I mean I know we get it in a lot of like literature and stuff like Mm -hmm. and tv and whatnot but I'm not sure where the actual science of that uh is but uh anyway he's he's like go because the you know bite marks don't match the devoured flesh on the kids bodies and so uh He goes home and, uh, you know, of course, lays in uh, in Sarah's bed, and she's there in her fade form and kind of talking to him. And I don't, I mean, I don't know that we need to go through all of what they say, Um, but the the upshot is that he he ultimately says like, "I actually hope you're not there. Like, I can't cope with you being." Mm You know around and just sort of watching it it kind of i mean he tells her to leave mm-hmm. um and uh
1: yeah in less polite terms basically yeah
0: and and that he doesn't really want to think of her as hanging around him because it it sort of hurts too much to, to think of that way so of course he doesn't know one way or the other if she's gone or not um But she does go Mm -hmm. and she goes to Neil Mm -hmm. uh, and says she's ready to be a spy for the angelics and to do that, which I wonder about her motivations to be honest. Right. Because like, if she knows that there's a way now to be, to sort of recorporealize, Mm -hmm. to pull in the, term from angel hey angelics uh then you you do have to want like like is she playing both sides here Mm. in a sense on the other hand i don't know why she would go to neil if she was Mm. like why not just go straight to john like if you're not if you if all you want is to like Get your body back and go see Mark again. Like, right. why bother with, you know, going to Neil and sort of pledging your allegiance first?
1: Well, I think only if, if as you say, she's playing both sides. If she wants to keep options open, um, you know, I think. Yeah. If she wanted to unambiguously join John's cause and all she cared about was was that then she could do that but at least um now to what extent does she have multiple and ulterior motives i think it kind of is ambiguous um but at least there's an option here that if she goes through neil she can kind of try to serve both those masters you know um and or or leave escape hatches open depending on where she decides to go with this um yeah. like this is giving her a um like a a guilt-free way to experiment with what these other fades are doing you know like sure th- this is a way to go about getting what they're doing without joining them necessarily and kind of saying like well I'm doing it for she can kind of justify it as for for the good or for the cause. Right. Um so, right. but I think we do get definite hints that she's you know, physically and otherwise deteriorating, you know, like we see yeah, well, her with kind of yeah. Yeah, like her her she's just not looking great. And you know, I think we've got enough hints that there's a moral deterioration with the, with the fades as well. Like when they go shitty, it's not just their physical appearance over time. It's their anger and their bitterness and their um, frustration. And you get that here, like screaming at Mark in the interrogation room. And yeah, she does leave when he tells her to, but you can see that it's, very hurtful and angering and painful that he you know says these things um so i think it's certainly you're kind of encouraged to at least wonder um if there's not something in it for her to offer to be a spy um
0: so yeah uh I mean, I, I did kind of, and yeah, again, it's hard, like, cause you know, there's still a couple episodes left. So, you know, what else could happen? And, but I do, I do have that sense of like, Oh, like, yeah, maybe like her true motivation is I would guess to get back to Mark in a corporeal form. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and we now know that that seems to be possible. Like we we've, we've got two between John and Natalie at least, who are capable of doing that, and possibly others. So, um, Sarah is ready to begin that journey. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So that's Mark and Sarah. Let's talk about um some of the reactions to paul's death or you know what they think is going to be his death um i i don't know i mean so i kind of threw in jay and anna here just because they have their little moment i mean i don't know that there's a ton to say jay is obviously very distraught and Mm -hmm. i think we believed all along that her affection for Paul was genuine so like that seems appropriate i think you know anna it's hard to tell like you know jay asked her like oh are you okay and then is like oh well, that's a stupid question but what's left unsaid is you know why is that a stupid question is mm-hmm. it stupid because like of course she's not okay her twin brother just you know got hit by a truck and is dead or almost dead or that's a stupid question because of course she's okay. She's Anna. She's mm-hmm. not someone who is ever not okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, I think we get hints that Anna is struggling with this. Um, she calls her yeah. kind of boyfriend. Uh, What's his name? Steve or something? Steve, Um,
1: yeah.
0: You know, to, I guess, come and try to console her a bit. Um, You know, she's... She seems to at least recognize that, like, she should be having certain reactions and isn't necessarily having them, but is... At least aware of like, you know, what the expectation is. Um, like a
1: sociopath's response to grief. Like I, I recognize that there's an appropriate uh, emotional response to this. Right. Um. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. I. I guess I read whatever emotions she has. I read as a little more. Um. not necessarily more genuine but like i read her as more upset than that or surprisingly upset given what we've seen so far let's put it that way like
0: i think well and like i said i think there are moments where so like certainly i think her her comments about like her mother would choose her to be on the deathbed instead of paul right mm -hmm. like that like There's almost a hint there that like Anna's thinking the same way, like almost, mm-hmm. almost that thing of like, wow, I wish it were me instead of you, kind of thing. You know what I mean? In that remark, in some way, like, right? She's also so conceited that it's hard to like, maybe go a hundred percent on that. But I do think there's sort sure. of a hint in there. And also, or can I think-
1: anybody that conceited not really realize that? You know, there's like maybe it's an acknowledgement of her own kind of nastiness in the way that she treats her brother and sort of behaves. You know, um, yeah. like if if she's acknowledging that there's a certain truth in maybe mom wishes it were me or maybe I think it should be me. It's 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 not quite, but it dances around a remorse for the way that she is yeah um because why would we wish it were me because i'm not as good a person or i haven't sort of behaved in in a in a loving or lovable way
0: um and then i think just the fact that she does go with mac when he says there's a chance that they can save him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if she didn't care at all, then she just wouldn't go. So, I mean, there's obviously some level of, you know, wanting to help her brother out in that instance. Um, so, yeah, the other, so, I mean, Mac would get a few times but i the one i wanted to sort of focus on was the one between him and paul's mother whose name i still don't think we have
1: gotten. <laughs> i think we did get it but i they never used oh, it we? so i don't remember
0: um yeah so he goes into her room and sort of initially you know has this sort of pretext of trying to get her to eat something you know this is this is what paul would want you to do and he sort of is funny about it and you know i mean not like gut you know wrenching funny or anything but mm-hmm. like you know kind of tries to make some jokes about it and and um gets gets her to at least take the sandwich that he brought for her well one of the sandwiches that you know that he brought and so um While he's there, he sort of begs her not to turn off the machines, And um, he says, uh, I love him more than any other person in this world, which I know is not as much as you do, but I do. Um, or is not as much as you, but I do. And I think it makes me the only person who can understand even a tenth of what you're going through. Um, which is apparently the exact wrong thing to say <laughs> to her, right? Like, Sure. Um, I mean, there's a couple things there. So one... You know, she's like, we're not gonna compare, like, we're not gonna have a competition about who loves and more. Um But also the accus there's an accusation of yeah. you were careless. It, it, basically accusing Mac of being the one to cause Paul's death. Hmm. Which is like clearly not true. Mm-hmm. Like Paul was he's old enough to know you don't back into a road yeah like you know yeah so obviously some deflection going on there well deflection
1: projection you know like like with anna maybe there's something i feel like there's something similar with paul's mom where you're putting words in other people's you're kind of putting on other people the things that you're secretly worried about yourself like sure. because the way that she says you were careless with him that's like a weird sentence that doesn't sound to me like somebody like she's talking specifically about the accident like there's a way to say it's your fault that he was distracted you know And but I I feel like it's larger than that like there's this idea of you were careless with him like on an ongoing basis like he mm. needed to be taken care of and i guess when i think about it that way i don't think that that's talking about mac like i feel like that's talking about herself or maybe just everybody like paul needed help and he didn't he he didn't get it he wasn't cared for so she's kind sure. of putting that on Mac and blaming him for it, but I think it's probably a more self-directed or, or generalized idea. Um, you know, I mean, not that she acknowledges that, but I think that's, like, it seems like it's not as specific as, hey, you guys didn't look, you know, cross the road
0: properly. Well, and sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also interesting that, like, this is right after Paul has just given Mac the key, right? Which we see him go use shortly thereafter. Um, which, you know, Paul had said he talked to his mom about it. And, like, like, she's basically accept, accepting him, like, into the family, kind of, in a way, right? And, like, now it's like, you were careless with him. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know what, quite everything to make out of that. But I think, I mean, I think you're right. Like, there's, there's definitely a sense there which maybe some of what she's saying is the way she feels about her own self. Mm-hmm. And and even, like, because even in, you know, previous episodes, we've gotten this idea of, like, like, I think it was just last episode where, like, he runs in and kind of goes up to his room and is like, you know, I'm very busy. And she's like, yeah, I know. And, like, in a sense of, like, I know you're busy, but I don't know what you're busy with. And you're mm. not, like, talking to me. And so is that, is there maybe a sense of, like, which I've heard you know, can happen when, you know, parents have a child who dies or whatever, you know, it's, it's that idea of like, you know, what else could I have done? Like, what Mm -hmm. are all the things that I could have tried to do? And, and, you know, how many ways could I have protected or, you know, prevented this thing from happening? So, yeah, I definitely think that's all kind of in there. Um, Yeah, so those are the reactions to Paul's death or, or near death. Um, what about Paul himself, though? So, I mean, I I like how it opens with this sort of, like, confusion that mm. he's kind of going, like, the sort of hazy wandering through the hospital halls. Like, we don't quite know how we got here, but here I am like as a fade and uh, yeah. his sort of like realization of what's going on. Um
1: Yeah. And it's kind of a neat move to like, have the build up of the mythology for a few episodes of what are the fades and how do they work? And then kind of have Paul sort of thrust into, Oh, now, now I am one. And now like all the things that right. I've learned are suddenly immediately like relevant and like and it's kinda cool, like you don't have to learn the rules of like you can't like it's painful to touch things and all that whatever. It's like now we Although he still tries. Sure. Sure. (laughs) And yes. And and he still like runs foul of some of the rules and bumps into things and whatever. But like you don't have to I feel like you could have done the version of the story where like episode one is somebody becoming a fade and learning all the Rules of what they can and can't Paul, do. Paul whereas... lying on his
0: back in a forest looking up. Through the tree. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's
1: a... Right. Whereas, like, that's one approach. Um, <laughs> whereas, like, here, it's, like, kind of interesting that, like, you learn about them for the first three episodes. And then all of a sudden, the main character sort of is one of them in the, you know, in the fourth. Um. Yeah.
0: um... But yeah, so, yeah, there's the
1: kind of slow realization of what exactly is, is happening to him.
0: Um Yeah, and and he sort of just hangs around there and Mac calls Neil, uh, who comes and like sees you know, sees Paul as a fade. Um I haven't figured out I mean I guess so the the mechanics of fadedom mm-hmm. um, we haven't really talked much about because there are a few there are a couple of things I think that get highlighted in this episode one is like how do they know who's a fade and who isn't mm-hmm. like especially like a fresh one like Paul like where they're not like You can't... A
1: fresh fade.
0: Yeah, you can't, like, tell, really, from just looking Mm -hmm. at him at a body perspective. But, But certainly... I mean, okay, so Neil can see through the doors. He can see Paul's body on the bed, and then he can see Paul standing there. So, okay, we can clearly see who the fade is here. But, like, the others see Paul in, like, the lair... And they're just like, oh, so he's a fade, then, huh? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, wait, how do you know that? Like, Mm -hmm. just looking at him walking in with Neil doesn't necessarily make it obvious. So, so that's one thing. Like, how do how do they know? Um,
1: Right, there's some sort of angelic, spidey sense happening that isn't a visual thing. Um, Yeah.
0: The other thing is sort of the physical nature of being a fade, because like. Well, one, okay, like I get that like when they when they touch organic matter, that's an issue. But like there's like like the door on the roof of the hospital or whatever. It's like a steel door. That's not organic. Organic matter is like living matter. So mm-hmm. like to me I'm just like, okay, is there like is there something else going on? Are we is am, am I missing something? Um But then also, like, him jumping and leaping, but then, like, falling, you know, and, like, sprawling on the ground. Like, there's a lot of sort of Mm physicalness to that, which seems like shouldn't be there, but I'm not entirely sure. why. Mm -hmm. Like, why couldn't he just jump off the roof? Yeah,
1: I kind of thought that. Like, what would happen if he just, like, because when there's a line about, um, that he'll be stuck in on the roof like he can't open the door yeah Um, like why well i thought he just can't like physically can't make a door open like can't interact no but
0: what but yeah i'm just saying like why like a lot of roofs have uh you know like ladders for like fire escapes or they have like Sure. Or, or like, why couldn't he just jump? Like, what would happen well, and if then he that jumped was, off of the roof? That was like, my
1: question, which I when I was thinking about that was like, yeah, I wonder what would happen if you jump? Like, yeah. do you have a is it like you have a physical being? You're just in a slightly. Are you kind of nudged into a slightly different dimension? Is it like you'd break your leg, but just be a fade with a broken leg? Or would it just be like, well, you're dead, so you can't. Uh, nothing happens to you. I don't know. That's not entirely clear. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I guess you could get around it to say like, oh, well, maybe he can. He's just not thinking of that way. And so John sort of uses it to his advantage of like Paul's naive and doesn't actually know what he can and can't do yet. And Sure. So, So maybe there's some of that to it that you could just sort of say, okay, well, that's fine.
1: It's Whatever. not it's not exactly the same, but um it reminds me a little bit of um C. S. Lewis's the Great Divorce. Um did you ever read that? I did not. That's the one about the bus trip into like from hell into heaven. And um Okay. So he he talks about in some essay or other that like he read a science fiction story that he can't, he could never remember. I think people have figured out which one it was, but he couldn't remember what it, who wrote it or where he read it. But like where in time travel, um, in the the story that he took it from, the character travels back in time and because time is fixed and you can't change the past, everything was um physically like much like harder. So Mm -hmm. like, like you can't impact the world. So if it rains, the raindrops are going to kill you because they're solid and, you know, they'll destroy you before you could ever make an impact on them. Mm -hmm. So he took that and kind of applied it to his idea of heaven. So like the ghosts from his like purgatory are, you know, on a bus trip. And they kind of visit the outskirts of heaven and they're walking around, but they notice that like, you know, because everything is more real and more permanent, um, like the grass doesn't bend. If you step on it, it's all like physically as hard as diamond and everything. Um, Anyway, I don't know whether this was in, I I doubt this was intentionally calling back to that, but that kind of reminds me of that. We're like, Whatever sort of ghosty realm the fades are in, there's like a lack of interaction with the solid physical world that you know they just can't make an impact on it. Um. Anyway.
0: Yes, except that the physical world makes an impact on them.
1: Well, right, but it's more. It's a it's a one-sided relationship. Yeah. You know, there's the kind of solidity and and permanence and reality of of the physical living world and the you know weak and ephemeral ghost realm which can't you know make any sort of except for these new uber fades
0: which are which brings me to the next point because well, yes, the uber fades, but even before they're uber fades, so like Sarah, who's a fade fade uh is apparently somehow able to ingest blood. Mm -hmm. And like through John's backstory, that's the same thing. There's like, because he was a fade for decades before his wife killed herself. And then he was able to sort of somehow drink her blood. Mm -hmm. So apparently even a, fade fade can have some kind of physical connection Mm to the world um
1: no and i think it's like yeah it's not that there's no physical connection i guess it's not that there's not an interaction but that it's it it, it, the 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 it's a one-sided in terms of the impact that they can have um at least until these uber fades start sort of evolving which, um, kind of makes it into like a vampire origin story in a way. Um, sure. You know, watching this was sort of like, oh, that's that's a different way of, you know, the the first being that you know gets new life by drinking the blood of another. That's sort of a, a twist on that old legend.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, we kind of went around about a bit. So, getting back to Paul, though. Um, so he goes to the... He goes with Neil to the angelic there. Um, where they have captured and sort of strung up, I guess, Natalie. Um, in a what is about to become a torture session, basically, Mm -hmm. Um, which Paul objects to. Um, But the whole conversation there is around, you know, that doesn't matter anymore, right? Paul was supposed to be this, you know, I don't know if savior is quite the right word, but he was supposed to be like the guy who was gonna sort of tip the scales, right? This sort of quintessential, uh, you know, prophecy boy um Mm -hmm. and so that didn't happen because paul's dead now (laughs) along with uh superman god and the easter bunny um apparently according to neil uh and so yeah the the upshot of that as far as neil is concerned is okay well since paul's dead we can torture natalie and kind of figure out what 's going on, um, which the other angelics don 't like, like they seem to be quite perturbed by the fact that Neil goes down this road um, or at least most of them do, or some of them do i don't right. know i didn 't actually count like there was half there's of a them. <laughs> there's a division uh right. within the ranks you know between those who agree with Neil about, you know, torturing Natalie and those who don't. Um, I kind of mixed up the timeline here because we already sort of talked about John and and the rooftop. Um, And basically, he convinces Paul to, you know, take him back to where Natalie is at the Angelic Lair. Um, They work together to get into... Uh, the lair the second time you know paul's second time and uh yeah john kind of goes wild and kills a bunch of people mm-hmm. um bunch of angelic specifically uh natalie gets away and yeah. neil yells at paul for his involvement in the matter
1: right for kind of facilitating the whole thing right um I don't know. I guess given given that Paul wasn't there to see like all the, the whole kind of evolution from his cocoon and killing random people on the street for their clothes and all that kind of thing. Um, did you find like John's pitch to Paul sort of convincing? Like if you were Paul and you're sort of this is the only information that you're given. Um.
0: So I think my biggest sort of question there was like, with Paul's pop culture movie knowledge, Mm. like, could he not see that plot twist coming? (laughs) I feel like that sort of thing should have been something that he would pick up on. But... On the other hand, he's also sort of desperate and new to all of this and doesn't necessarily know like mm-hmm. which way his blinds need to be yeah. facing. Or
1: yeah, and I think that they also, like you said, um, establish pretty well his discomfort with what's happening to Natalie. So he's already sort of, I think, a little... Being a a bit ambivalent about the angelics and what they're willing to do, and maybe what they've been, you know, done in the past, you know, how they've treated the fades and everything. So he's sort of primed to be sympathetic to a fade who says that we've asked for help and we've been ignored and rounded up and treated like vermin and everything.
0: Yeah. Right, and the, right and this is after seeing Natalie's Natalie being tortured. So, like, right. he can totally maybe see, like, oh, well, maybe, you know, up till now, I've just been kind of getting the story from this one angelic guy, Neil. Maybe there are other parts to the story. Or maybe this is, like, maybe not all things do go shitty. Or, you know, whatever. Like, maybe there's a way that we can rebuild our, you know, relationship or, or figure out how to at least live peacefully together, you know? mm-hmm. um, yeah.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Neil doesn't necessarily, his reaction is like, like the first thing that you said, like, why did you not see this coming a mile away? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he basically brings John in and gets that, the loyal half of the team all killed. Um, yeah. You know, anybody that left was the ones who broke away from what Neil wanted to do. So there goes Neil's uh, angelic team.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, so speaking of those who broke away uh Mac so Mac goes to paul's house um and that's kind of a funny moment there with the light and all mm-hmm. of that uh runs into two angelics who did not support neil um, mm-hmm. and uh they learn an interesting piece of information uh namely that Paul has a twin uh which did Neil know that they were twins did he know that they that Paul even had a sister let alone that they were twins i don't know think. that neil ever
1: cared to ask
0: yeah i <laughs> well right i don't think he cared to ask and i don't think paul was like was really offering that yeah you know, right right um so hey turns out that if you have a twin and you're a fade maybe there's a way we could bring you back to life to right. uh this soul transplant um, now what i'm curious about like is this does this mean that we're gonna see paul with some of anna's like right uh personality at all um
1: it yeah it's unclear i mean this obviously is not a pleasant process for anna to go through but like it's not entirely clear like what is she losing anything in this transfer? Like to me, like when they say it's like a transfer, it's like, well, that sounds like you're taking something from one person and giving it to another. Um, so yeah, what exactly that means. They don't really spell that out for her or for anybody.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, like, it's either that or Paul dies. So like, if it's the only choice, it's the only choice, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard to see like, what are the secondary ramifications of that? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't, I mean, Paul's kind of angsty before that, you know, when his chest is glowing and all of that, but like, I don't know that there's a whole lot other to say than just like that. They go through this ritual and, it seems to work and uh back at the hospital where his mom has just ordered him to be unplugged like suddenly he sort of get you know goes awake again and does the green mile thing and you know has (laughs) more mods fly out of his mouth and
1: green mile times 10 um
0: yeah so uh
1: yeah and i i just like the way that scene is kind of done with like the flickering lights and the moths and the music. And it's all like very creepy and kind of powerful and supernatural and everything. Um, yeah, it's just a good kind of resurrection scene.
0: Yeah. Um, and so the other ending then is, is Sarah, Going to John and and kind of getting her first taste of blood mm. um, which we know is painful right mm-hmm. because it's organic matter and all of that, but um, is also necessary to take the next step, so to speak mm-hmm. yep so yeah i I mean, like stuff happened in this episode, but it's also kind of like. You know, it's uh, so if it were a Friends episode, it's the one where Paul dies. Right. Like <laughs> there's. It's kind it is being sort of in the middle here, like there is a lot of just sort of movement. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movement and also a lot of waiting <laughs> in a way, like sure. um, kind of both happen at once. And it's, it, you know, setting up for the last couple episodes, I'm sure, where there's you know, going to be a lot more conflict, I would imagine. I mean, there was quite a bit of conflict in this one, too. So I, I don't mean to imply that, like, it was, like, a boring episode or anything, but I feel like it was a lot of, like, people just sort of moving around and stuff. Um,
1: yeah, well, I guess it's kind of about this, what are the implications of of Paul's death, which means if we're building to the resurrection then we have to sort of, you know, spend the episode not having him resurrect um so um yeah in that sense it's more about an episode about like waiting for something to happen but i think going forward then now you have this it you know presumably this is not a common occurrence for a fade to then not ascend but go back and resurrect itself Mm -hmm. so you know back to neil's like you know his kind of increasing certainty that everything is pointless and inevitable um you know god is dead and all that sort of thing um and
0: superman and and
1: superman Superman. well now like paul so he brought paul back to prove the point that see it really is hopeless because our messiah is now fade so give up hope that there's going to be a, a, a rescue an easy out to any of this, but you know, Paul just came back to life. So Right.
0: right. So on that note, then I guess we'll see what happens now. Um, yeah. Paul, Paul woke up. He, uh, he, he he's ready to go back in action, I guess. Um, and like, there's still a question of like, to what extent do are his, what extent do his powers have? Like, hmm. I don't expect that he's going to like raise other, the other angelics back from the dead or anything. Um, but yeah, like what, we're obviously coming up to another confrontation. Like, the whole, like, John's whole thing. Oh, well, we, and we forgot to mention, too, that, like, John is basically immortal. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets shot a bunch of times right. and just sort of, like, right. is able right. to walk away. Right. So there's um,
1: two resurrections in this episode. or sure. Or two, two people who are capable of resurrecting themselves.
0: And, and it's unclear, like, yeah, what to what extent, you know, Paul will be able to sort of like fight him or whatever now that he's alive again. But he does have sort of he does have some kind of magic powers on his side or divine powers or whatever you want to call them. Um, and we don't know sort of the extent to, you know. The extent to which those will will come into play, um, but there's definitely like, coming because John said like his whole like his whole purpose was, you know, to come back and like kill Paul, mm-hmm. and he was kind of disappointed when he didn't have the ability to do that. Right. Well, now he has that ability, so yeah, I you know it would seem like maybe he's gonna try that maybe i guess uh we shall like a fair assumption we shall see and uh yeah we'll get into the next episode of angel as well so getting down to the wire here
1: yeah we are all right sounds good see you then